Welcome to Songwriter Trysts, an intimate podcast that is connecting songwriters from all over the world. I'm singer-songwriter Ray Lee. Music saved my life and I want to talk to other songwriters about the power of songwriting, talk about their journey and how they got to where they are today. This is a safe space to share stories, lessons and emotions, all the great things that build an amazing song. To support the podcast and follow our journey, you can find us on songwritertrysts.com. Welcome to a songwriter tryst with your man, Alex Smith. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And that is actually your band name, isn't it? Your man, Alex Smith. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's um, something that I'll have to like specifically let people know. Otherwise, I'll just think that um, I'm telling everyone that you're the man. So we start this podcast by getting you in your own words. Tell us who are you and where do you come from? I'm Alex. Hey. <laughs> Brisbane, Australia. I'm a musician. Originally from the UK. I moved here when I was 12. I have a history in theatre and musical theatre and acting, but also I like to make films and yeah. <laughs> now your mu- music video makes way more sense. Yeah. <laughs> With the cop outfits and everything. Yeah. Just <laughs> a lot more fun than the usual playing in front of a, a brick wall and then just cutting it. Yeah. Oh, and that's probably what I'd do, but that's because I'm lazy and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> that's why I get someone else to do it. So how did you end up from here in the UK? What's that story? Where were you born in the UK and why did you come to Australia? Which is famous for its cider and nothing else really. It's not a bad thing to be famous for. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's probably something, but I don't remember it being much of anything. I lived in Lyme. I'm pretty proud about it. It's where Mary Anning was from, the, the first female uh, paleontologist. And cool. she was very cool. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we moved to Australia because my mom got a job here. Um, and also some big family drama. We are running away from some stuff. Probably not my story to tell. But that's all right. Run away from the weather. That's enough, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so cold over there. But no, I love I love England and I, I could, would consider living there. But every time I do consider living there, I remember how cold it is. And I think, yeah, maybe we'll just go for a holiday. Yeah. And rainy, <laughs> okay. relentlessly rainy. Where did the creative bug start for you? Uh, I did theatre when I was in England. There was a demon headmaster and I was like, oh, I love this. This is great. But I was always one of the me kind of kids. And I, I feel like most kids mm-hmm. are. But I think eventually people kind of grow out of it. Or maybe some kids are shy. <laughs> but I was definitely getting attention. I was in a bunch of Amdram theatre productions and I loved that. And then mm-hmm. when we came to Australia, I ended up comedy in my high school. And I've just always loved performing and entertaining. <laughs> and stand-up comedy, that's another one to add to your bow. That's really cool. Yeah, it was. I don't even, because like Billy Conley and kind of comedians growing up. Because it was a, a competition at the school for class clown. I think just because awesome. my, my drama teacher was like, go for it. And I was like, I, I will. <laughs> yeah, just have some fun with it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I think that comedy is a really good skill to have in all arts, whether it's acting or songwriting or performing. It's important to have a good sense of humour. Mm. Um, and if you can write that into your story, whatever it is, humour always, for me, I reckon, humour as long as it's placed tastefully and well, mm. always makes a good story even better and enjoyable Yeah, and can wake the audience up to what's coming next. So what mm. did you do? Well, I got the the book of like the courses you can apply for and mm-hmm. I found the five courses I could apply for with my OP. And oh, okay. There I, was only five. 
yeah, it was like, mm. it was like, what are your five preferences? And only really five I could do. And it was like woodworking, okay. applied theater, a music course at QUT, mm-hmm. and some other just nothing course I did not want to do. And I actually didn't get accepted into the QUT music course. They, oh. which I think is a bit fucked because they were like, all right, show us an example of your composition. And I showed them one of my songs that I'd written. Yep. So you don't really know, like, it it obviously wasn't a beginner song. Like I've been writing. Oh yeah, I've been writing for a few years at high school for that point. Yeah, because I've been writing yeah. songs. But they they had this vibe of like, oh, this sucks. And it's like, I'm going oh. to you need to learn, man. Yeah, <laughs> it was good yeah. going in. If it was good, I wouldn't need you. Yeah. No, the stars don't always align. The man of ice was not always this way. Oh, he had a burning heart, but he traded it away to someone who showed him nothing but disdain. And his heart was not the same. Couldn't handle the pain. Now ice runs through his veins. And his love burned bright like the stars at night. But the stars don't always align. Okay, so you didn't do music, so what did you end up doing? Uh, I ended up getting accepted into the Bachelor of Arts in Applied Theatre, which I thought was going to be an acting and performance course, but it turns out it's actually, uh, if you've ever had those people come to your high school and be like, oh, you know, they put on a show and it's like, oh, Daryl, I'm going to sniff glue and jump off this bridge. It's like, freeze, what do you think Daryl did wrong? It's like those people. (laughs) Which is yep. <laughs> employable. It's the more employable of the two kinds of actor, but okay. it wasn't what I wanted. Uh-huh. So did you finish that? I realized mm-hmm. very early on, I was like, oh, I hate this. But yeah. I was surrounded by a lot of creative, cool people. And yeah, all the auditions that were going on. This is where I started doing like six to seven theater shows a year for a few years, yeah. which was awesome because nice. I love I love theater. I miss theater. What was your favorite one? Uh, it's it's probably Unisex the musical. Mm. Oh no, Bat Boy was great. That was a good okay. One. Cool. Uh, Unisex was a student written musical, and it was three hours long, and it kind of sucked wow. for everyone who wasn't in it. But it was great <laughs> fun to be in. It, okay, so it was fun to be in, but not as great for the audience. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there was some some bangers, but the script needed to be shaved down so hard. Yeah, that's a skill. You have to learn how to do that. Same with writing a song, I think. Yeah. Like learning how to shave it down a little bit. And yeah. I've heard of some people like their first songs being like nine, ten minutes long and like, <laughs> you know, let's condense it to its best three minutes and then go from there. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've definitely been guilty in the early days of like, all my ideas are good ideas. I can't mm. cut any of them. Yeah. Yes. 
got to learn. Learn. It's, it's just which one's better than the other. It doesn't, they don't, doesn't mean they're bad. Yeah. It's just, just which one's the best. Putting them to the side, <laughs> not yeah. deleting them. Someone described a songwriting to me the other day at a, a songwriting workshop actually about how they write lots and lots and lots of songs and each song is like a flower in their garden. But when they go to create an album, it's like going into their garden and picking the most beautiful flowers to create a bouquet to put, you know, on their kitchen table to display so that everyone can see when they come in. So they still love their garden and they've got all their flowers, but they pick the best ones to display to the world. And I I thought that was a really cool thing. It was like... Not every song you write is going to get recorded and be a number one hit and that can be <laughs> possibly a hard thing to hear when you're first starting out. But yeah. <laughs> So you did a lot of theatre shows, you finished your degree, then what did you do? Well, I had kind of a B plot happening this whole time where I was writing music and I was writing songs, <laughs> which is the same thing. And I was of that mindset of like, oh, you can't make a career out of something you enjoy. You got to do something oh. you hate. That's how you make money. And what right. you like is, you know, your hobby. But then, That's very <laughs> Yeah. But it was around this time at university when I moved out of home for the first time. And mm-hmm. I had my first kind of proper making a, a wage job, which was as a pasta chef at Vapiano. Wow. But the fun things I forget that I did. I'm like, oh, That's, pasta chef. Yeah, my husband's favorite restaurant in the city. Yeah, it's real good. Yeah. It's real, real good place. <laughs> we love Vapianos. Yeah. plug. <laughs> anyway, keep going. But I had what can only be described as, I guess, like an existential breakdown. <laughs> because okay. So you know how they have like the little thing of parmesan in front of the pasta and then they like scoop it and put it on top of your pasta? When they, mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have that. And then they have like behind you when you're doing that there's a drawer a big Mm -hmm. container full of parmesan cheese and i was like hmm i wonder what happens when we run out of parmesan cheese which Mm -hmm. obviously eventually after working there for like you know months probably two months or weeks i don't know time was weird i was very young they and cheese and then someone just came and brought a new tub of parmesan cheese and i was like oh my god there's always going to be more cheese. There's always going to be more customers. Nothing I do here matters. I'm making money <laughs> to pay for a roof over my head so I can have somewhere to sleep when I'm not at work. This is what life is. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> so you had a bit of a meltdown and a breakdown. And I think I also, well, that I really liked, like, properly in high school. Like, oh, you know, I have a crush on you. And then you kind of date because you spend eight hours together every day. And I don't mm. know. And they're like in your friend breakup, but it doesn't matter because you're kids and nothing's re- nothing's real. Really like this person, and I asked her out, and she was like, "Oh no, it's okay." And because like also, she said, like it's okay, like I don't like you. Or? Oh yeah, yeah, and like yeah, now we can just be friends. But it was like, well, I'll find meaning in you know romance and love, which is very codependent. And I've mm. since gotten lots of therapy and realized that's not how you're supposed to be. But yeah. it, it was, I'm glad you got therapy. It's good. <laughs> but it was just a moment of like, oh, so the thing that I do for the majority of my life sucks. I, you know, it isn't as simple as you tell someone that you really like them and then they like you back. Oh my god, what am I doing with my entire life? And so I really, like, I really went back to the drawing board in the sense of like, I got a bit of paper and was like, what do I like? What do I not like? What brings me joy? What do I want to do for my life? And eventually right now that I like to do is playing music and writing music. 
So I moved back in with my parents, <laughs> start antidepressants, and yeah. put, you know, foot forward towards music. And that was May 5th, nine years ago. Wow. Yeah. Nine years. You've been full-time chasing the songwriting. Well, that's the thing. It's like I think the first two years were like full-time, full-time. But, yeah. you know, then you, you get – I mean, I get, we'll get to that. <laughs> Okay. We'll All right. Okay. So you moved in your parents. You're like, right. I love songwriting, and I've I've had that moment, and I, I I think I'm still in that moment of like, yeah. I don't think I could see myself doing anything else because yeah. you know, we all have the same amount of life, really, if you're lucky. And why would you do it? Filling cheese on pasta, like, <laughs> yeah. unless that's what you really loved. And I, you know, I haven't met anyone that said my dream is to put cheese on pasta. So I'm proud of you for for making that, asking those deep questions and having self awareness around what is it that you want with your life. Okay. So that's that's a very mature thing to do at such a young age as well. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe I did the right things for the wrong reasons. I was a train, but I do. A- appreciate these kind words thank you why why would you say you're a train wreck of a child while i'm glad that i made the choice i think part of it was like you know because i was very depressed and i think it was like but then a clever and mindful i'm going to make incremental changes to my life to better my life i think it was like i want to die <laughs> and mm. i'm gonna go and try and do music and if it doesn't works if it doesn't work then i'll just die and yeah. so it was like, I'm not going to give myself a backup plan. I'm just going to throw myself into this, which was a very like irrational and, you know, just like a, not, you know, just a petty and young emotional way to do it. Mm. And I wish I could accept the, the the praise of like, you know, making a mindful choice. But I think it was more like everything sucks. I don't want to do things I don't want to do. And that really good Jim Carrey speech where it's like you can fail at what you don't want to do, so why not yeah. try to do what you do want to do? Yeah. I think mine's like the Aldi brand version of that. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that's good. And honestly, I don't feel like my story's that different, like mm. depression and anxiety and stress and just like I give up, you know, on trying to live the in a life in a world that I don't like, you know. Yeah. And so you create the world and life that you do like. And then, you know, I mean, the option to kill yourself is always there. So, you know, you might as well try everything else first. <laughs> yeah, like pretty much. If that's the way you want to look at it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not endorsing that at all, but I've definitely been there in those moments. And I, I think in those moments is when I went to songwriting. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually, I have this one song, this is the one song that I always sing to myself over the last 10, 20 years. It's the song that I sang at the piano when I was in that moment of like, I can't do this anymore, I give up kind of moments. Yeah. And I would I would sit at the piano and I would play this song. It was the one song that kind of just helped me get that yuck emotion out. And I had it recorded and I'm like, I'm actually kind of scared to actually release that because it's it's that powerful for me, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a vulnerable thing to do. Have you ever shown it to anybody? 
I've shown, yeah, I have shown, I, pr- I did perform it live at one of my shows last year and they they liked it. It's just, I think because it was, it's a vulnerable, it comes from that vulnerable moment of depression yeah. and, and suicide. And I think there's a lot of shame around mental health and, and suicidal thoughts. Yeah. There's, you know, it's weak and, you know, you're just giving up and you're not even trying or like, you know, there's like this mental health thoughts for me that go through my head and like what everyone else is thinking of me for for being depressed or having those mental health things like that's really hard yeah yeah especially in australia i mean it's it's gotten better but like Mm. for a long time it was it's very much like you know we don't talk about that stuff and yeah yeah Yeah. so i mean it's it's not something that you're alone in and i'm really glad that you had music that was you know you had something that was like well if i'm going to do anything i'm going to do this yeah, likewise. Because I think I was the same. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for music. Okay, so what what did you do then? Continue your story. Two wow. years full-time into music. Yeah. I graduated uni. Mm-hmm. I had a, a string of relationships that failed for various reasons, probably all my fault. I, I, I blame TV and the media for everything really <laughs> they, they brainwashes us as kids and telling us how we're supposed to be how women are supposed to be how love is supposed to be and mm. you know and like it it makes i don't know how i was gonna say like it's it's all patriarchal stuff like it makes men feel shit about themselves it makes women feel shit about themselves and it makes guys feel like they're shit if they're not acting a certain way and it makes you know mm. it, yeah that just yeah. I have a theory about that. I think the theory is if we make everyone feel crap about themselves and then tell them if they buy our products, they'll feel better, then they'll spend their money on our stuff yeah. and then we just keep making them feel terrible and insecure so that they keep buying stuff and it's like this consumerism cycle that's just mm. killing us. Yeah. But there is no responsibility held against um, retail departments because we should be strong enough and responsible enough to know that that's what they're doing. Yeah, like it's fucked. Like with, <laughs> like with you know <laughs> beauty magazines, but also yeah. like the way that they advertise fast food and stuff. Mm. Like that's like it kills you. Like it straight up mm. kills you. And it, it should be advertised the same way they advertise cigarettes, but they yeah. don't. And then, as you said, it's like oh, it's your fault for you know buying into this marketing that was designed specifically to appeal to the pleasure centers of your brain. It's like, yeah. Right. It's tough to be yeah. a human in, in the world. Yeah, making us not feel great about yeah. ourselves so that we, I don't know. Garbage. Yeah, and that, like, that's, a, that's, <laughs> a full nother, that's a full other topic. How did we even get onto that? Just failed. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the relationships failed yeah. and probably because of expectations and all that sort of stuff. So then what did you do after that? I, I hustled hard in my first year. I got gig at the zoo how was that uh, nice yeah right how was that oh uh, it was best gig of my career so far but also really yeah but i mean i mean not so far now but like yeah. at the time you know i've been playing for a while and i was like this is great and mm. got a live album out of it and it's got a taste for the stage had, how, did, how did you end up getting at the zoo because that's a pretty good gig to get in the valley then you could send a, an email and be like, hi, you know, I'm, I'm starting out. I'd really like to, you know, have a shot. Can you give me a shot? And they'll be like, yeah, here's your shot. Wednesday night, go for it. Uh, you know, the gig economy is 
not as good as it is and you know pandemic times and everything and mm. I think booking agents kind of want a bit more of a surefire shot these days so being given and unfortunately a lot of really important venues in the gig ecosystem like the new glowdown mm. because mm. sometimes you need venues that are bigger than a coffee shop but smaller than the zoo where you can just kind of yeah. suck because <laughs> <laughs> if you don't suck you never get better and if people don't see you suck then they don't see you get better and you know mm. if, if you just have coffee shops and then you know the triffid in the zoo then we're kind of smothering the small acts who need to suck on stage to learn how to not suck on stage In our local area, I think of the in between a you know, open mic night yeah. <laughs> to to you know a full live stage production. I won't name any names, but it used to be that uh, all the venues used to be rock up, try and sell tickets, but or, and then it became like, oh, we'll take a a guarantee and then a cut of the tickets. And a venue that I know is now we'll take a five hundred dollar guarantee and Ooh. a cut of the tickets. And it's like, damn, man, like what band? What band? Yeah, that's like a pay-to-play scenario really, isn't it? Obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of had the wind knocked out of me for a bit, which okay. considering <laughs> pain <laughs> and like mm. hard work was so low, considering yeah. how hard I've worked on this last album. Because all I had to do yep. for that one was ask people for some money and then – like sing in a booth and someone else made it for me. And I was like, oh, man, I worked really hard on this. <laughs> I mean, well I, done. <laughs> yeah, I guess I worked hard on like writing it, but like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, okay. I, Crazy Day still holds a good place in my heart. It, I don't think it's the, the love it deserves. It was a good yep. album. But I, and yeah, I, I had all these big plans for like music videos and stuff, but I just didn't have the bucks because these things take bucks. Mm. And a band, solo singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. And then Crazy Days came out, which I did entirely, you know, I, I went to Stuart and was like, here's the song, and we fleshed it out together. And then I think I assembled a band for that launch, yep. which uh, Alana Ritchie, an incredible musical theatre drummer, mm-hmm. a bass player, presumably, mm-hmm. <laughs> who must have <laughs> left pretty early because I don't remember who they are, Okay. Maybe we didn't have one who went on to be the assistant musical director of Mean Girls. The band is like in New York or was in New York and is just an exceptional superstar. And I can't believe I know him, let alone that he played wow. in my band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. man. And Fisher, who is my guitarist now, he was the first guitarist I've ever had, the only guitarist I'd, I'd ever have. If he ever left, I'd be like, right, I'm quitting music. I'm nothing without Aww. Lucas. He's the guitarist. 
and when he tours the world in his Viking metal band and then occasionally plays fucking 30 person gigs with me and I'm like what the <laughs> fuck I'm so lucky I love you Lucas oh we love you Lucas that's awesome yeah it's just the best boy yeah so we kind of gigged around with that setup for a while Mm-hmm. And I was, oh, oh no! So I wasn't entirely happy with Crazy Days because okay. then I was like, right, is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get a full time job and I'm gonna do the second album entirely off my own back because I'm gonna take some risks with it and I don't want to crowdfund it because mm-hmm. I don't want to make a big change and then have people be like, I gave my money. For this, I guess the solution to that is just let people hear it before you fund it, <laughs> you dingus. But, but I was like, you know, the first one was to get radio play and it didn't explode. So I'm going to do what I want this time. And I did a theatrical, slightly self-indulgent album. I, I still love both the EPs. I think Crazy Days is more poppy. I think Guilty, you got to be in the mood. Mm. More to the kind of theatrical side of things. Because I started to bring more theater to it. And it started with Anton, which is like this kind of clangy, robot-y, dystopian Disney villain song. People seem to realize. And that one got a little bit more traction in Crazy Days. Yeah. But also, okay, so this is where we kind of start to catch up to the modern day. I <laughs> During the the two years where I was making Guilty... I had a, a very important and impactful relationship. Oh, actually, can I figure out who? Uh, ah, no one's going to listen to this that I would know. It's going to be it's, <laughs> it's going to be people who don't know me that will listen because I've been promoting so many podcasts that my friends are going to be like, oh my God, Alex. It's just another one. <laughs> another fucking podcast. Just say it and I'll make it the trailer and then <laughs> everyone will say go. During that time, went terribly... <laughs> It went terribly and painfully. What, what made it so important? I think she was the first person that I genuinely cared about more than myself. At, okay. You know, and now I've learned empathy and I'm not the fucking worst, but I don't know. It made me laugh. And yeah. I, it, not many people do consistently make me laugh. And I've. It's a good trait to fall in love with. Yeah. And she was very competent at everything she put her mind to. She was just very good. And also just very pretty, which is always mm-hmm. nice. But mm-hmm. she made me laugh and we clicked life where she needed all artistic dingus that I am. Mm-hmm. Terribly, unfortunately. And she, we both had our own traumas and eventually... Uh, is it the one that I bought at your show? No, I, I don't think okay. it was out at that point. No, because I'm like, damn, what was the name of that one? Because I had it in my car and I listened to it. Also, okay, thank so, you very much for coming to my show. And everyone listening should know that she did come to my show. and it was. I love getting to shows when I can. <laughs> and it was a really fun show. I had a lot of fun. And Rob got to come with me too. And he never gets to come to shows because he's usually babysitting the kids. I don't know why we didn't have the kids at that stage. Oh, I know. We blagged it. <laughs> I, this is We had a neighbor come babysit the kids so that he could come pick me up from the airport. Yeah. And uh, and he didn't tell the the babysitter that he was picking me up from the airport and we're coming straight to your show. <laughs> so we kind of like did a 
detour. And I think that's why we split early because we were like, we weren't actually supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought you didn't like it. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. They didn't even say to the end. I must have really been terrible. We were having so much fun. And actually that it was like my husband's scene, like mega. Like he was, he just felt so at home. He was like, this is it. Because he's from Cornwall. Oh my God. And, and he said it reminded him of, I mean, he was born in the 80s, but he said it reminded him of like, his the high school bands that were in Cornwall when he was there as a kid and like he just he was like a kid in a candy shop <laughs> looking at all these old reminiscing of like he's like oh it's like this band for, I can't remember what the name of it but like this band that they had when I was in high school and we'd go and watch them and blah blah blah. Damn. So, was, as long as it wasn't the Wurzels because my dad loves the Wurzels. I was like I must not I, be the Wurzels. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> good. Anyway, so, so you yeah, know, it was a good show, but, yeah, we weren't technically meant to be there because we hadn't told the babysitter that we were going to be longer than going to the airport and back. So you're producing your own music now? Or you got someone? No, I work with the fantastic Nick O'Donnell for the band 26. He came in on Guilty and mm-hmm. we a bit, just because it was the way Stuart Stewart had done it and I didn't mm. really, I, I was very much of the mindset of, like, I'm paying you and, like, I have a vision and, like, you this is making me sound like an asshole to clarify i'd be like you know here's my song and he'd be like what if we had a 16 bar fucking drum solo here and i'd be like mm-hmm, yes or he'd be like what if we cut this chorus and i'd be like i don't like that so i would we would kind of butt heads and i'd be like why must you continually fuck me why do you do this i give you money why um that's the thing sometimes people do pay people to fuck them so, <laughs> just saying that's a thing okay so but you, you got you got there in the end yeah did, well, did you collaborate on any of the songs or do you write all your song all the songs yourself them all myself but now see the thing is nick and i did find a good middle ground okay because he was like you know i'm a producer you're paying me for my years of experience and sometimes you need an outside eye to tell you when you know you've gone a bit too cringe with an idea or maybe this would be good and eventually i was like yeah, <laughs> I mean, some t- like it made me realize what hills to die on because to go in thinking I've written this perfect song that doesn't need any adjustments is very egotistical of me and, mm. you know, I need to work in collaboration. And also, yeah, you know, you can be too close to an idea and often the things he suggests are really good ideas. And it also meant that, like, on a line it starts with, like, the cowboy voice being like, oh, you wanted songs, I'll give you songs. And <laughs> and on its own, that's a stupid idea. But I really want to fight for this. And I think yeah. it's less about fighting for every idea and realizing which ideas you're like, I don't know why, but I really care about this and this is what I'll fight for. And That's cool. Yeah, and now I we like have a really that. good rapport, he and I. <laughs> that's really good. That's And sometimes the best partners are complete opposite to you, like yeah. in a lot of ways. But I think that really helps round out ideas as well. And, yeah, I find it the hardest when my husband listens to a song and doesn't like something or he wants to change something. Mm-hmm. I find it really challenging. And I'm like, you're not a songwriter. You have, you know, <laughs> go yeah. away. But at the same time, it is, it's good to be able to take feedback and that's how we learn and grow. As damaging as it feels to the ego, the ego also has no value or worth in in life as an artist. You know, yeah. just kill the ego and take all the feedback, and you'll grow faster. Trust me. I've I've learned that in in rehearsals and stuff, when someone's like, "What if we do this?" I'm like, "I'm I hear that. I'm gonna have to 
come back to it because I recognize in myself that when I hear any idea that is different, I get scared of change and then mm. I like stamp out the little fire. So I'm going <laughs> to walk away. I'm going to actually think about it and I will come back with an actual opinion. Like that. Scared yeah. of change. Everyone's scared of change. <laughs> but if we accept that that's the way things are, then we can maybe not worry about it as much. Yeah. Good that advice. Mm. Speaking of advice, what is the best and worst advice you've ever received? My friend Matt Newsom told me a thing that his high school teacher told him, which was knowledge waits for no brain. And he was like, I hate that. <laughs> so that's the only <laughs> bit of advice I can think of. I don't know if that's good or bad advice. <laughs> knowledge waits for no brain. True. It's yeah. all out there. It's true. Yeah. The good advice. It's good advice. What about the worst advice? Can you think of like something that someone said to you that you were just like, yeah, nah. Or you listen to it and then realize later on that it was like, mm, that wasn't good advice. Mm. A friend of mine was telling me about a friend of his who mm. was like, if you want to get rich, here's what you do. You get someone who's already rich and then you learn from them. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I got these $2,000 seminars on how to get rich. And it's like, oh my God, dude, that's just a scam. <laughs> It's <laughs> terrible advice. Oh, yeah. It's a bit of, I guess it depends on what you're after. It's like if you just want money, like I, my kids ask me, like, I actually have an eight-year-old son and the other day he's like, oh, I want to have a million dollars. And I'm like, well, what would you do with a million dollars? And it's like, well, I'd, I'd buy everyone a house and car and then we wouldn't have to worry about stuff and dad wouldn't have to work anymore. And it's like, okay, well, what what would you do once we had all that? And he's like, oh, you know, and like, and just asking those questions, like, because once you have money and once you don't have to stress about it, it's like you actually then have a life to live. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, what would you do if you didn't have any money in the world? And my, like, I ask myself that question. And for me, it's like, well, if I had all the money in the world, I'd continue doing what I'm doing now. I'd probably just do more of it and I'd hire more people to help do, you know, the stuff that I don't want to do, like yeah. editing, <laughs> you know, whereas... Like I think there's a lot of people in the world that would not answer the question that way. You know, if they, you know, you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you do? You know, quit your job or something. Like, yeah. I wouldn't quit my job. I'd just, I'd work harder. <laughs> hmm. But I think that's, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing. It's a good like launching pad to jump off when you're having to think like if, you, if money was no mm. obstacle, what would you do? What would you do if money was an obstacle? Well, that's kind of where I'm at. Now, this, this this album and this music video have mm. been a big financial pressure on me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now that I've paid them and I've graduated, I mean, I, I had the, the void for a bit where I was like, what do I do? But next project's going to be me. <laughs> I think I'm going to buy some shoes that don't have holes in them and get yeah. my teeth fixed and go to a psych and get a gym membership and maybe buy a car that can drive and, <laughs> you know. I like all those things. Yeah, because like, I, I will still pour and hemorrhage money into your man Alex Smith because that's what I do and I have a bunch mm. of music videos planned, but I think I've, I've spent so many years, like years. This album took four years and then it was, you know, yeah. two years before that and I think I've just spent a lot of time in my life with the blinkers on just trying to like get mm. to the end of it mm. which kind of ties in nicely to the where we were at 2017 because i really just buried myself in this album to try and cope with everything and like process everything and now that it's done it's kind of like the last thorn to pull out and so now i'm like well i kind of stalled on living my life 
you know, I had this excuse of like, oh, I'm making the album. That's why I'm not, you know, mm. making the incremental changes necessary to be happy. But it's like, well, now I got to, you know, you got money. You can move out of home and make a life, become an adult functioning human man. And like, yeah, you know. I have three kids and I, you know, have a house and all that sort of stuff and a husband. And I've realized now <clears throat> that I don't think I'll ever be an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've become less of an adult as I've realized how meaningless so many things that the world make us believe is really important mm. is. That's depressing. <laughs> I love my life. I think what I've realized the most important thing is is to have fun. Yeah. And find people to have fun with. And yes, take care of yourself because, you know, your health, if you don't have that, you don't have a life really. Yeah, take care of yourself and have fun and do what you love and spend spend time with people that make you happy. Yeah. I think having the time off after the album made me realize that it in the quiet moments, it's like I I need to have a life that I can be happy with now mm. because I can't just be happy because I'm putting out some content. You know, you got to be happy with your body and have a brain that behaves the way you want and like have, you know, people that you see regularly and a good relationship with your family and I think just kind of the stark silence after all this work made me realize that, like, oh, I have a lot of work to do in my own life and I haven't been able to afford it, but I can now. So no, I've got to fix my life. There never is excuses, really. Yeah. You think about it. <laughs> <laughs> we just make them up. That's what an excuse is. Well, no. Okay. So I have one more question for you, actually. Okay. If you could co-write a song... With anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Hmm. It depends. What's the intention of the song? Is it to just like be a, a banger or is it make societal change or is it to shock or mm. wow people? Cause Good question. It's to create something that you want to create. So, I mean, who's someone that you would want to create something with? I mean... I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a cheeky half answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> gently say Freddie Mercury, only because I actually think that in actuality I would I would just be like and I'd not be able to contribute anything and I would second guess everything. <laughs> and then I'll say because I think he's incredibly talented and he's been very influential to me. A similar mm-hmm. thing, I think I would you know not feel like I had anything to contribute. But a lot of people have said that there are some art and that maybe if we just kind of did our own thing, it would end up being something that worked well together. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So what's coming up next? You're going to take care of yourself and get a gym membership, fix your teeth, go move out of home, (laughs) get a car. I love all these things, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to keep you accountable to it. Is there anything else you would like to say before we finish up? Uh, Well, I guess so. Thank you very much for, having me if you have to check out slow burn on all the streaming services it cost a million dollars and it took four years and (laughs) the animated music video a line is incredible it's by uh the danish animation house skjald did the tales of aletheon series that's on youtube just search a line it's like it's not the animation of you know you see it before the cinema and it's got like the motion graphics it's like traditionally frame by frame animated it's very cool and one of the coolest things that has ever happened in you know uh, in my career 
I think we fetishize the hustle often to the detriment of our mental health and our physical health and our relationships. And I think mm. it's just important to remember that no one is tapping their watch at you to create content and just take care of yourself. We all like to do the whole tortured artist thing, but like, there's got to be a point, right? You got to, <laughs> you got to function. You're no good to anybody if you can't be alive anymore. So take care of yourselves. I love that. If you take care of yourself, you can be better for everyone else and you can inspire other people to take care of themselves. And if we all take care of ourselves, we don't need someone else to take care of us. Mm. That's what Oprah said anyway. (laughs) I'm stealing that one from her. Anyway, I'm going to put your links to your music and your YouTube and your socials and everything on the description of the podcast. Thank you. And there will also be a blog on songwritertrist.com and it will be a full feature and we'll – put your promos and everything like that up on the socials. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing your music. And I I think you're an amazing entertainer. And I think you've got skills in all areas that you need to, you know, do this business. So don't be so hard on yourself. And I'm really glad that you've done what you've done. And I look forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining our songwriter Trist today. To join the family and keep up to date with future podcasts, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Please leave a review and subscribe. To support the podcast or contact me or our guests, please go to the website songwritertrist.com.